I'm Yvette Walker, the host of the Positively Joy podcast, where we discover that joy is not a feeling, it's faith. You can find previous episodes at PositivelyJoy.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. However you found yourself here, you are welcome, and I believe it was truly God-destined. We are in Season 3, and this season has taken the podcast into the vantage point of what joy is. I'd like you to listen to each episode this season through the lens of how Jesus Christ defines joy. John chapter 15, verse 11 reveals this when Jesus tells us to keep the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Enjoy, and I pray you receive the message the Father has for you. If you're listening to the show, you're already a member of the Positively Joy family. But now you can actually join our new membership levels and support the show while getting bonus content and free merch. Go to PositivelyJoy.com to learn more. Welcome, welcome to Positively Joy and the House of Joy. That's right, it's another Clubhouse collab. I am replaying the Clubhouse room that we had on Friday in the House of Joy. It's every Friday at 6 p.m. on Clubhouse. And we are talking about scripture this year. You'll recall that I am picking a scripture every week that one of you has given to me as their favorite scripture. Today, or rather on Friday, we picked John 3.16. And it's a great, certainly a great verse uh, to pick because a lot of people love it. But we don't just stay with the verse. We are going to explore that whole chapter. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, I was actually not at the microphone when we had the room this time, so the sound is not as good as it normally is, but the conversation was awesome. Here we go. So getting back into John. So we begin John chapter 3, where... Jesus and Nicodemus have that encounter. Um, if you, if either of you have watched The Chosen, uh, and I realize that you know it's it's dramatic, it is not the Bible, but it's it's a pretty good show. They've done uh, a pretty good job of trying to work with uh, spiritual leaders to make sure that what they do is as accurate as possible. But the encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus is particularly interesting because. The way they the way they portray it, Nicodemus really understands that he has missed he has missed an incredible opportunity when he doesn't follow Jesus. But um, let's go ahead and start John three. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, "Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God." For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Okay, let's stop there. I think this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus is so interesting because first of all, he is a member of the ruling council, and frankly, he cannot be seen with him. They meet at night. They meet at night, and even though he doesn't understand Jesus' teachings and he tells him that, 
And he asked that question, how, you know, you can't go back into the womb. He still knows that there is something here that he has to find out about. And, and, and I just think, I mean, clearly he was trying to open so that he could receive something that he felt was important enough to risk being with Jesus. And he does this at night. Um, I'm, I'm sure you guys have, have read this, you know, this, this portion of the chapter before. I'm curious to get your thoughts on, on this relationship. I'll, I'll share, I'll share. I think that it is very reflective of, um, many, many unbelievers and believers as well today. Um, I think it can identify the power and that draws and they're curious but because it doesn't make sense in their natural mind, um, a lot of times logic or just trying to understand will cause many people, including believers, um, you know, those who say that they belong to him to not go further because they can't make it make sense in their minds. I think it's just very representative of every generation, every era, every season of a more of a group of people in the mindset. I think it's, it reminds me of believers most because just because of the um, up close interaction, right? We, we mm -hmm. interact with Holy Spirit. We're in the presence, we're in the word, but it's still that desire to be in control, you know, to have some type of knowing. So I think it, you know, of course it represents the world, but really it's a, I think it's just a parallel of those of us who are up close and some of the choices that we make or won't allow ourselves to make, um, even though we're we're standing with him because of that absence of what we think we need to know or, you know. And 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 it's scary sometimes um, for for non-believers, though. And this is when we as believers in our efforts to be the hands and feet of Jesus when we when we try to share the good news with them and they have difficult questions and and that we can't really sometimes provide answers for because we're not Jesus and even though we have faith we may not have the full understanding because again we're human um but what i like about nicodemus is he seemed genuinely sincere in his in his desire to know but the answers were apparently were just not forthcoming enough for him to risk it all, right? I think that is where sometimes that's where the rubber meets the road and we're liking what we're hearing, but we may have to risk something. Certainly in his day and age, he was risking his reputation and everything that came with it because he, you know, he had resources, he had, you know, a good home, he had... I don't know if he had money per se, but he had possessions. Um, that that was a big risk if he were to lose that just based on what he thinks might be the greatest opportunity he's ever had. And um, and in The Chosen, and again, that's just a dramatization. We don't know what happened. But in The Chosen, when he does not meet Jesus later, and, and they and they leave. Jesus is well, so he's not coming, right? They leave. He is around a corner, bawling his eyes out in this dramatization because he knows. 
he he thinks he knows what he missed, but he couldn't he couldn't take that risk. Let's let's take a let's go a little bit further. So we are in John chapter three, and we we have come in the encounter where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus has come to him at night because he was part of the ruling council and he really couldn't be seen talking to him. And he is talking to Jesus and he's asking questions that uh, really that he can't understand. So the question he has asked is, how can someone be born when they're old? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you. And you know what? Whenever Jesus says very truly, like, you know, you need to listen, right? (laughs) Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? (laughs) Okay, let's stop there. So I love this part. Jesus is being a little sassy here. He's like, you know, dude, you are, you know, you claim to be Israel's teacher, right? And don't you understand what you have read? We have to remember that Jesus was was a very learned man. And of course he knew, you know, he, he knew scripture. So that if people started quoting, of course, we're, we're calling it Old Testament scripture. It wasn't Old Testament to them, but started quoting scripture and and quoted from the prophets. He knew all this. And so, but he could discern it. He could, he could understand it, but he kind of, you know, point pokes a finger a little bit at Nicodemus to say, you are Israel's teacher. Can you not understand all this? Um, But then he says, very truly, again, he uses very truly. I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? All right, let's stop there for a moment. Do you think Jesus is being a little harsh with him? I mean, Jesus knows, and Jesus, Jesus also probably, I'm sure he knows that he will not come with him, but there's an opportunity here for Nicodemus to expand his mind. Do you think Jesus is being a little harsh with him or no? I don't think so. I I think that he's speaking to the area that is going to cause him to make that decision, which I Mm -hmm. think is pride. You know, I think that he's challenging that and giving him something to go away and think about. Yes, yes. I like that, Kiana. And Gozai? And then um, he he does this with people in positions of power because he is a threat to the status quo. Like that is his identity. So when he meets the status quo, there is inherently going to be a challenge there. And that's what he's doing with Nicodemus. But, you know, he also gives his disciples flack. Oh, you guys are still talking about the yeast of, of the Pharisees. You you still don't get it, do you? So uh, 
he has a sharp tongue. You know, we we have to recognize that that's how he uh, makes his point at times. True, true. But and I, you know, and, and I need to remember that Jesus was man. Jesus was fully man and fully God. And and I'm human and I don't know anything. So I can't exactly know what he knew. But assuming, and you know what happens when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me, but assuming um, he knew, I mean, do you think he was actually trying to convince, I mean, really, was this an opportunity? Do you think he was, he thought there might be a chance he was actually trying to convince Nicodemus to to join him? Or do you think it was, he knew that that just was never going to happen, but he wanted to, um, he, as I said before, maybe he wanted to expand his mind a little bit. I, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think that the invitation is always open. But he said, you know, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Like, and we see with Nicodemus and rich, powerful, what have you, reputation, that he pretty much needs a downright guarantee filled out in triplicate for him to come to what he wants to believe is true, but has been so conditioned against. So I believe that Jesus was an invitation to everyone, but it 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 wasn't enough of a guarantee for Nicodemus. Okay, so I have not raised my hand in any of these uh, rooms before. I'm fairly new, and I was just trying to listen, but you ladies are uh, piquing my interest in what you're talking about. I'm honored, Chuck. <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, I've listened to a couple different. I just kind of hung around for a minute and then dropped back out. I was actually in the middle of a 40 day study and I just saw this pop up. So I opened it up to see who it was and what you were talking about. So a couple of things really quick. Uh, a few verses before in the, in the last few verses of chapter two, uh, Jesus knows the heart of man is the point of those few verses. It says in, in 2.24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So he did know what was in Nicodemus's heart. One of the boundaries that Nicodemus set in being able to uh, relate to Jesus where he wanted to meet him at, which was in his heart, was he came under the cover of dark. Right. You, you, and, and, that's, and that, and that uh, dictates a heart issue. You can't come to him under the cover of anything except for faith that he is who he says he is. So it was already kind of a boundary set in his uh, capacity to believe what Jesus would say to him. Absolutely. I think before you jumped on and you might have you might have been here, but we talked about the fact that he was taking some risk because yes. of his position, because of all the resources he that he had that he, you know, he might lose these things if he's seen yes. with Jesus. So you are right. He he comes under the cover of darkness and that itself makes a statement, does it not? Absolutely. And 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 it is the nature of the Pharisees because they want to be seen in a light where they are glorified 
And I don't believe Nicodemus's heart was at that point in this moment, but out of habit, he did what he always did. He didn't want to risk uh, his applause. He didn't want to risk his position, but we have to give it all for Jesus. Yes, we do. Yes, we so do. We have to give it all. And, 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 and Jesus knows his heart. So one of the things that I like that you pointed out was when Jesus says, truly, truly, you definitely got to pay attention. Uh, <laughs> but he's 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 meeting him by way of language and something that he'll understand because he began to talk about the kingdom. Now, Pharisees understood the kingdom, but their misconception was they thought it was something that was coming. Yes, we'll be with him in glory when we pass on, but the kingdom is here and now as well. So that's, I believe, how Jesus piqued his interest in talking about the kingdom. But he said two interesting things that unless he believed, not only could he not see the kingdom, he couldn't enter it either. Okay, okay. And 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 he... A part of the challenge to him is when he says, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How mm-hmm. then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? I mean, right. he's asked, you know, he's saying, Nicodemus, you are asking me questions. You already don't get what I'm telling you. So why, how, you know, how, why do you think you're going to understand if I explain to you about the concept of being born again? But Absolutely. yeah. So then he goes on to say, uh, n- no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just mm-hmm. as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then that's verse 15. And then we get to our titular verse, John three sixteen. And I have to tell you guys that, I, I'm kind of shook because verse 316 is not in the red letters. It's not Jesus speaking. It is John speaking. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I did, there was a long time I did not know that. So let's talk about it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And in the very beginning, I talked about how, and Chuck, you may not know. So I'm I'm taking these verses because people are giving me their favorite verses. And I'm using them to pray over people over the year. But I want to use these verses here in these rooms. And so mm-hmm. this, this is the verse, this is the favorite verse of so many people. It is, it is the it is the comforter, right? I mean, this is this outlays the fact that God loves us so much. He gave us his only son that all we need to do is believe in him and we will live forever. We see these signs at baseball games in various places, right? It is mm-hmm. the verse that so many people cling to. Um, and, and John, the writer, is saying this. Why? And I, now I, I think I gave a little clue as to maybe why people like it. I said comforter. But why do you think this one verse is so beloved by so many people? And anybody can answer. I honestly think it's the only verse a lot of people know. (laughs) You know, some things are just passed down without revelation. You know, like if it's 
you, it was plastered all over your grandmother's house, then you know what I mean? So I, I think it's that, and like you said, at football games. And I think a lot of things are not innate to a person where it's spoken to them, where they've collected it as something of dear revelation to them, but more of, you know, this is popular. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think you're right. They know that. They know the Lord's Prayer and Jesus wept. Right. <laughs> Okay. Anybody else? Why is that such a beloved verse? Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's a lot, the only one that a lot of people know. And it's interesting because the verse before he alludes to Moses lifting up the serpent. Now, while they were in the wilderness, the people of Israel began to get sick. All they had to do to be made well, to be restored, was to look at this serpent that Moses had raised up. It was a stick originally. All they had to do was look at it. Some of them refused and they looked away and they died. He says, just as Moses did that, so I must be lifted up for the same purpose, salvation and freedom and life. So a lot of people miss that whole interlude into John 3.16 because Moses lifted up the serpent to save them from their sickness. And Jesus was lifted on the cross to save us from our sin sickness, our condition, not the things we do, but what we were born into. And I think if a lot of people understood that, they might not like that verse as much. They know God so loved the world, and he does. And he does. That blows me away. If I say it too many times, y'all going to hear me weeping on this call the first time you meet me. But he does so love the world. And in loving, period, as with this as a backdrop, as an example, you can't love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love. It's a precedent here. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. And he gave his only son. And of course, whosoever believes may not perish, but have everlasting life. And I love it because it speaks to my soul. When I got saved, all I, all I knew was that I had to read John. I didn't know anything else. I just read the book of John over and over and over and over and over until one day it started making sense. And then when I knew God was real in my life. So I loved the whole book of John, to be honest. Exactly. Exactly. No, it is. It is a beautiful, beautiful gospel. So not. All right. So let's keep going. So not only do we know that God loved the world and that he is a giving father. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's verse 17. So we have a savior who is not. A, a savior of condemnation. A lot of people can't get, they just can't get that through their heads. They, they, and a lot of believers, in my opinion, believe that Jesus is here to condemn. Or, and, and maybe that's all they know because whatever, because their religious backgrounds have, has focused too much on condemnation. And I, and I think that's that's very very sad. Breaks my heart. But I but no no he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only, and only son. And they're not talking about baptism here. We're about, we're about to hear from John, the baptizer, in a minute. But that speaks to it, right? We are born in sin. And, and believing in Jesus, if we don't believe in Jesus, he's not, he's not going to condemn us, but we are left to stand in the condemnation that we already have. I just wish more people could understand that message because it just makes me so sad when people think that God is a punisher. Has he punished? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It has has happened. The Israelites needed to be knocked upside the head a few times. But he sent his son not to condemn. Any comments before we go on? I just, I agree with the um, people seeing God in a certain way. It is very saddening. But I think that it has been sadly manipulated um, by the church a lot, right? Because I think if people are coming into the church and they're looking for God, but they're met with a man-made agenda and backed by by that agenda is manipulation and control, they don't truly know the difference if they don't fully understand his nature yet. Um, And I think it's just been passed down. You know, I I just, I think culture itself plays a part as well, uh, which I believe God is definitely using um, those who he has given the revelation to, to wake up culture and reshape culture, um, to bring a kingdom culture versus, you know, the culture that we've been in for the last all of my lifetime, but you know, the last, the eras before that, but, um, definitely I think it's a theology thing that has happened. I think it's a backed on top of a slavery thing that has happened. You know, there's so many different components that add to this, um, demonic depiction of who God is. Right. And, but I think that we're entering into a space where he, is about to reveal himself. That is why I love that scripture, Romans 8, 19. That is my absolute favorite scripture. He's about to reveal himself through his, through his children. And the sense that I get that is that he's about to basically introduce himself on his own behalf versus all the times that he's been misrepresented, um, quote unquote, in his name. I love I love that you said God's nature because I I agree with you. I do believe it's been misrepresented. There is a line in the movie, it's a Woody Allen movie called Hannah and Her Sisters. Don't know if you've seen it. There's a line in this movie where one of the characters says, if Jesus Christ came to earth and saw what had been done in his name, he'd never stop throwing up. When I heard that line, I was like, oh, I mean, it's it's a terrible, it's kind of a terrible line. But it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, he already knows what's happening. But yeah, yeah, it was it just kind of like, yep, that is so true. Very, very sad. Um, I have experienced a 
couple different kinds of or different um, branches of religions. I was raised Catholic. Um, I'm from Chicago originally, Southside Black Catholic. Uh, Catholicism is really, really big in the Black community in Chicago. It's it's actually um, one of the largest enclaves of Black Catholics. But I've also been a member of an Episcopal church. Right now, I'm going to an evangelical church, non-denominational evangelical church. Um, There was a time when I was living, I moved around a lot for my job, and I was trying to find, you know, a home. And between you and me, I really don't care where I go as long as I can hear the message. And so I went to several churches. I went to Baptist. I went to Episcopalian. I went to lots of different churches when I was searching. This was when I was in Austin. Um, And I came across some churches that just were so filled with hate, so much hate from the pulpit that I just said, I just have to go. So yes, there, I I agree with you all. Um, There's so, there's so much misrepresentation that, that can happen. Um, Sad, sad, sad. And Gozai, did you, did you want to jump in? I just think it's an interesting distinction that they are not condemned, but they are already condemned. Yeah. um, Because God reveals the disposition of the heart. And sometimes we forget that um, in the sense of we're afraid of this judgment that is going to come as some surprise. But the judgment is just the revealing of the heart. Mm hmm. And so I like that it's not as if God is in this case punishing. God is simply revealing. And that's uh, not a distinction a lot of people make. But I think it's very valuable and it helps you understand how God works. Yes. Yes. So true. Verse 19. And I'm reading from the NIV. And I, and I haven't looked at, because I'm going to mention a word in a minute. I haven't looked at the other translations yet, but in the NIV says, this is the verdict. And I think the use of the word verdict is very interesting here. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the verdict. This is the results. This is the verdict is not the same thing as judgment. I mean, they, there are two, two different meanings in that word in our legal system, but I think it's, I think we're getting close to that here. This is, this is the, you know, let's go further. This is the truth. This is the verdict. This is what it is. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And again, this is John talking. This is not Jesus talking here. Um, it, it always, it makes me sad, but it also, not surprises me, but I don't understand. 
why people think that God doesn't already see the sin. God knows the secrets of our heart. So again, you know, trying trying to hide may maybe makes yourself feel better, but you're not hiding anything. You're not hiding anything from God. So not to embrace the light just because we have done evil deeds and we're afraid that the deeds will be exposed. They're already exposed. He already knows the secrets of our heart. So we are just, just, and just like Nicodemus, a missed opportunity is what I'm referring to. A missed opportunity. Nicodemus had a missed opportunity. If you have sin and you are not embracing the light because you think that sin will be exposed, You have lost such a sacred opportunity because he knows anyway and through grace will forgive you and and share his love with you. So, I mean, this is, you know, first of all, it's John, so it's awesome. Um, But it's so powerful. It's so, so powerful. And I just wish, I love John 3.16, but to be honest, these last verses we've been reading, I think everybody needs to hear. Everybody needs to hear and hear and hear and think about. Now, in the middle of this chapter, we move on to talk about John, the baptizer, testifying about Jesus. But I don't want to leave here until we finish any comments that we may have about that. I think that we're moving again, we're moving into the space. So that will be, that will be partnered with the Holy spirit. That will be our job, right. To really explain to people, because as a, as a counselor, I do a lot of therapy for, um, different influencers and, um, you know, doctors and therapists. And you wouldn't, when you spoke about that, that segment of the scripture, it was really reflective of, where people think. And I don't think that people are always cognizant that they think they're hiding from God rather than hiding from themselves. Um, Mm. Because they don't want to look at the whole, they don't want to look at the verdict. You use the word verdict and that's the conclusion of a matter. They don't want to look at, like, for example, I had someone yesterday that I was speaking to and she, you know, said she had just said she was watching some show And she said, and I got sympathy for the killer and I felt so ashamed. Right. And I asked her, well, why do you feel that, that the shame, that the shame showed up? And she said, because why should I feel sympathy for someone who did something, you know, so wicked and so sinister who, who, you know, deserves something. And then I said, you know, she's like, no one else feels that way. And then I said, well, no one except for God. I was like, so you're experiencing the heart of God. And, you know, she was surprised. And that goes back to the way that we see God or the way that he's been depicted to us. Right. So, uh, you know, and I asked her, well, what happens if you just felt let yourself feel the compassion for, you know, the perpetrator? And she's like, that would be awful. And I said, actually, it wouldn't. Right. It would allow you to sit in a place actually with God and his feelings toward mankind. Because even in their worst place, you know, he's walking with them. He cares. And, you know, the revelation that she had was that she didn't want to then have to look at the full picture of why she would feel sympathy 
would it reflect something in her own life? So I think people are running from looking in the in the fullness of a clear mirror. Um, because I think if you really if you sat with people cognizant, they know God knows everything. But I think that they, you know, deceptively lie to themselves or, you know, believe the voice of the enemy, which keeps them in deception that if I don't look at it, then it won't be so, which it's, you know, at that point, you're already in handcuffs. Mm. That, yeah, that, that's some serious testimony there. And thank you so much for sharing um, that experience. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, e- even if people understand that God sees all, I-, I think you're right. They're, they're hiding from themselves. And, and maybe if they're not embracing the light, they don't have to think about it. They don't have to think about what God really wants them to do, what God has for them. So in a lot of the evangelical churches that I've been in, there's a, and especially the one I'm at now, there's a real strong message of everybody is accepted. Um, The church I go to now is almost next door to like the city jail. Uh, And sometimes we'll get people who just got out of jail wander in or will, or homeless people will come in. Um, And there's always a message from the, from the, from the stage that, you know, basically to say, don't, don't feel like you are too far gone for God. Don't limit God like that. Right. So I think that if they, if, if, if it's not that they don't know that he already knows it's easier for them not to embrace the light because then they have to do something about it or they have to deal with it themselves. And so it's easier yeah. just to kind of hide it. Is that, is that kind of that, what you're saying? Exactly. Kim? I think it's, it goes back to that Nicodemus moment. That, that decision that, that if, if you deal with it in full, you then, the next step is to make a decision. So I, I think it's that, that people are avoiding because of what they think it's going to cost them. Yes. Yes. Whatever the cost, whatever the risk. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. And um, even believers, even believers. So there was a time in my life, I was a former journalist. I'm, I'm an educator of media now, but I was a, a full-time journalist. And now I know, I didn't really see it at the time, but now I know I was keeping my faith on the down low because as a journalist, I had this expectation of myself to be completely objective and not to let any kind of viewpoint in for fear that the the readers and also the people in my newsroom would think that I wasn't, you know, a journalist enough. I didn't see that at the time. I completely see it now. Because I would never talk about, about my faith. I mean, not when I was in charge of the front page. How how could I do that? Because that would that would somehow influence the decisions I was making about the journalism. And that's not good, right? I mean, and again, I did not see this at the time. So I I think that, yeah, I, I think that I, had, I felt there was some kind of risk maybe, 
or a cost that I wasn't ready to pay. But again, I really don't think that I that I recognized it at the time. Now that I'm out of of daily journalism, I'm teaching journalism, but I'm out of daily journalism. Um, I think I see that now in a way that I didn't before. Yeah, I think we all do it at different stages of our walk. I think the deeper we get intimate with Jesus, the more we get personal with Holy Spirit. I think those hidden things in our heart, which really come from, from survival, right? Or whatever has happened, the trauma that has happened over time in our life, we then connect something to it. And we create this list in our mind of what it cost us and how we'll go after it. But then it gets confronted with, will you let it go and follow me? So it's not, so letting it go and following you isn't, it is the, the choice, but the choice of the person that's making the choice really sees, I've worked so hard to protect this space, whatever that is connected to this. So like for you, possibly, or any other journalist, possibly, you know, I, I am, you're proving something to yourself. I am a great journalist. I am this. So all the things that would say, I possibly could not, I can't let those things happen. So we don't just think of follow you because it's like, sure, I'll follow you. But then when he starts pointing to these things saying, yeah, but you got to let that go, that go, that go. Then it leaves a gaping hole that we didn't know that we had been stuffing that we now have to look at fully. And I think that's the process that people avoid because I don't think Nicodemus was saying it's my reputation. I think it was really about what did I work through? to get to this, to be seen this way, that I'll now have to go and dig deeper and look at all those things that I fill the void with, with the reputation, the finance, the status. So it's an uncovering of so many things with that one choice. So I don't even think that they have turning their back on God as the equation, more of them being their own self-protection to some, you know, false narrative. Oh, and I, yes, and I love that you use that word status. Yes, yes, absolutely. But then, and we've only got t- 10 minutes left, then in the, in the next part where John is talking, he, you know, someone says, look, you know, now Jesus is baptizing. Basically, almost kind of tattletale, right? But then John tells him something, and I love it because it speaks to joy, which is what my message is. And he says, The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. So basically he's telling this this person, just back off, let Jesus do what he's going to do. I think that Nicodemus was, he had status, he had so much, but he was empty in an area. And I mean, I think that's really the only reason he came to have this encounter with Jesus to fill something. And uh, it's later in John, John chapter 15, nine through 11. That's, that's my signature verse for, for the podcast and for the ministry where Jesus is explaining that real joy comes from the father by fulfilling his desires. And then 
that joy comes into you and that's that's the only joy that completes you. It's the only joy that makes you full. So I think when when it comes to Nicodemus, I think that there was something missing that he wanted to fill. And I know for me, I love my journalism career, but I know something was missing. And it's not that I wasn't going to church. I was wasn't a I was a believer. Yeah, for sure. I was I was a believer. I went to church every Sunday the whole deal. But there was something that was missing. And it's that complete pure joy in that comes with relationship with Jesus and with the Father. Um that is what people who can't seem to embrace the light miss. And it's and it's what's keeping that hole in them. Um, but I think John the Baptist spells it out here. And I love it because he's talking about joy and I love talking about joy. <laughs> I will be back next Friday. I, I'm not at my calendar right now, so I, I don't know what verse is coming up, but it's, it's going to be good. If you're listening to the show, you're already a member of the Positively Joy family. But now you can actually join our new membership levels and support the show while getting bonus content and free merch. Go to PositivelyJoy.com to learn more. You've been listening to Positively Joy. Thanks for spending some time with us. Go to our website at PositivelyJoy.com where you can subscribe and follow, find previous episodes, seek inspiration, and check out our cool merch. Go to the Talk tab to leave us a message. Special thanks to Morel Sanders for our podcast music. And as always, farewell for now.